Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our business sponsor today is Casper Mattresses. I'll be telling you a little bit more about that in a second. Speaking of sleeping well, I have in the studio with me today my wife, Joanne. I don't do this very often. I know I did it a couple weeks ago, just a short segment. We had a lot of response to that, questions. So I brought her back in because we're going to talk more about this whole idea of living the entrepreneurial lifestyle. A lot of the questions that people have for us at this point is not how can I get 10,000 more Facebook likes or how can I get, you know, more um, blog readers or Twitter followers. Yeah, we deal with that. But there's a whole lot of people offering information in that space. The thing that makes us a little more unique is the length of our marriage. And when people come to our place here in Franklin, Tennessee, come here for one of our events at the sanctuary, they recognize that um, we have a lifestyle that is pretty appealing to a lot of people. So when they see, you know, the zip line and we walk down to the mulberry tree and we walk across the little bridge in front of our house and see the water feature and you'll see grandkids running around here and just, and then we have our neighbors, you know, cater a meal or we walk over to their house. I mean, we're, we're living the life that I talk about. So I wanted to bring Joanne back in again and just talk some about that. I mean, this uh, life well lived is a continuous process of adventure, curiosity, and awe. Those are not just things you learn in a book, some technique. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So Joanne, welcome back. I'm going to pick your brain again for this one. Okay. I like to have my brain picked. I want to make a comment on something that I heard you say right at this beginning. I, uh, I obviously we both have been married 48 years. That's a long time. We both have been married. We've that long. both been married that long. And we both have three children and we have 14 grandchildren and, and all of that. And that's all well and good. But you said it that people talk to us about the length of our marriage. It's more than that. You know, I know a lot of people who have had long term marriages and yet they aren't really feeling very fulfilled or very happy or they feel like they're they're in a rut and the same old same old every single day and there's not any excitement and adventure i think like to think that we've had 48 years of great adventures loving relationships and an exciting life that doesn't mean it was all uh, lots of fun there were some really hard parts but we did make it an adventure, and I think we're still on that adventure, and I'm excited about it. Well, I had somebody give us perhaps one of the greatest compliments I've ever received recently. He said, I admire not how long you guys have been married, but how well you've been married. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Isn't that neat? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, hey, we're going to talk about that. Well, um, well, let me just insert this before we go any further. I want to talk to you about my friends at Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to the consumers. Now think about the usual process. Mattress is manufactured somewhere, then it goes through retailers, ultimately ends up in a little store in your town where they have to pay salespeople, pay utilities, and keep the lights on and rent. That's not what they do at Casper. They sell directly to you. Do you think that may provide a significant savings? For a better quality mattress? Absolutely. 
mean, there's a whole lot of teams that have worked on developing the Casper mattress. You've heard me talk about it. People rush to claim the room with the Casper mattress in it in our guest house when they're here on our property in Franklin, Tennessee. That's the response that we get again and again and again. Now, mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin size, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery, free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. That's the way that it is. Time Magazine named Casper one of the best inventions of 2015. And now it's the most awarded mattress of the decade. Here's the deal. We got a special offer for you. As you know, go to casper.com slash sleep you love and use the promo code sleep you love to save $50 off your purchase. Let me give that to you again. Casper.com slash sleep you love. Then use the promo code sleep you love to save $50 off your purchase. Well, that is one of the things that we value highly is getting adequate sleep and restful sleep. It's part of creating good health personally and certainly in our marriage. Well, there, there's some particular topics I want to talk to you about today, Joanne. And one of those is personality styles. We have focused on that a lot through the years. It's one of those things, you know, when we got married, I mean, we, we were young and I mean, green as can be. We didn't know squat. We just simply got married. We were both escaping homes that we wanted to get out of. So we wanted to move on from there. We didn't know a whole lot about ourselves, but pretty quickly we started looking at personality style. And what did we discover? Well, we are totally opposite one another. And I've often heard people say, well, uh, this marriage didn't stand a chance because they came from different worlds. Really? Wow, then we're doomed because we came not only from very different worlds, very different upbringings, but our personality styles, if you look, for instance, at the DISC profile, which we use a lot, that's the D-I-S-C, you are a DC and I'm an IS. We are total opposites. But I'd like to think that if you uh, put us together, we actually make a really awesome couple. Well, it's interesting you frame it like that because in recognizing that, our goal immediately was not to become clones of each other, was not to make you me or me you. We learned to value and appreciate those major differences but those really played out in some interesting ways. I mean, being a, a DC, I'm very task-oriented, very process, results. Just give me the bottom line, get to the point. You know, you, if I ask you what time it is, you tell me how they make watches in Switzerland 100 years ago. Okay, that's a slight exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, but there's a lot of truth there. I like to tell a story, and I'm going being a high eye, as I am, I want it, I want all the details in there. And you're a bottom line kind of guy. It's like two or three words or a sentence can do it. My gosh, I can go on with whatever we're talking about in an entire paragraph and make it a lot more interesting. A lot more interesting. But one of the things that I have learned, and I really, really believe as far as personality styles, is that any strength, when overused, becomes a weakness. And I recognize, um, painfully so, that my 
attention to detail and my delivery of detail can get agonizing for some other people who, unless they're a high eye like me, or unless, of course, they could be just waiting for me to shut up so they can, uh, they can tell their own story. But, but I recognize that I do have to curtail how I come across. There are other things. It's not just my um, speaking, but uh, even my uh, approach to life in general, I have enabling down to a fine art. I can take on anything and just nurture it to death. Whereas you want to find a result, fix it, go on to the next thing. So we're very different in how we approach life in general, and parenting and marriage and everything else. Well, here's a couple examples of that one would be in when we approached Christmas for the first time as a young married couple. (laughs) Well, I grew up, our Christmases were very austere. I mean, I would get a new pair of blue jeans, you know, and maybe an orange, and we'd go back to work for the day. I mean, it was not a big celebration, nothing like that at all. You came into our marriage in the first year, you're making a list and you got like 78 people on a list. I mean, another slight exaggeration cousins that you hadn't (laughs) seen in five years. And like, who cares? Who gives a rip about these people? Why would we get somebody a gift when, you know, they're a distant cousin? I, I, it blew my mind to see your Christmas list. I remember. And in fact, there were a lot of, of holidays early in our marriage where I would end up in tears because I could not get you to understand my heart and what I really wanted to do in order to show people that I loved that I loved them tangibly. And yet you that was so foreign to you. Now, I will have to say that through the years, we've certainly made compromises. And that's what marriage a good marriage really does. We want it to be a win win for everybody. We won't, don't want it to be I, I win you lose. Ha ha. That's that does not create a happy relationship. But, but we worked together and came up with um, things that worked. And I would say probably if you look at the balance, you've come a little more my side than I've gone your side. Well, I have. <laughs> but for me, coming up with those very serious, non-joyful Christmases, I mean, you brought an immense amount of joy into the Christmas experience that I had never seen, you know, with trees and lights and music and parties and all those things. I mean, it was a great eye-opener for me. I remember that the the first time you all have a, ever had a Christmas tree was after I came along, and I just in insisted. Family. Yes, in your yeah. in your family, you, you had to have a tree. What do you mean? You have Christmas and no tree, no lights, no nothing to celebrate this beautiful holiday. And I, I'm sure that your parents felt that that seemed a little sacrilegious to them. You know, it was uh, it just didn't go along with their your strict upbringing. And and I and I respected that. I'm not saying that I I wanted to trash that by any means. I really did respect that. Well, there were, there were part, there were two parts to that one theological and one economic and yes. theologically they were, you know, conservative Mennonite. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get excited about much of anything, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty somber lives. And we were celebrating, of course, the birth of Jesus. This wasn't a time to shower gifts on each other or to expect to receive things. It was simply that. So there was that part and then the other side was economic. I mean, I'm parent. My parents were poor, you know, eking out a limit, living on the farm. So there was not excess money, and they just didn't see it as being necessary. So you brought that element in. Yes, and let me state right now: you do not have to have a huge bank account to have a really fun Christmas. And I, 
uh, I loved going to garage sales all year long. I shopped every year all year long and would find the best deals at garage sales, estate sales, thrift stores, sale racks, that kind of thing. So our Christmases were not expensive. They were just a lot of fun. They were and continue to be. They now, do. now we have three kids and 14 grandkids and Christmas is a, a big celebration that you prepare for all year long. Yes, and, I do. I, and I'm grateful for that. I appreciate that about you. I didn't want to just block that, although it blew my mind initially. And uh, certainly we wanted to pare back the list of people that I'd never heard their names before. Uh, well, some of the things that we talk about here, you, you do share in your new marvelous book, Creating a Haven of Peace. And we've got some of the ways that people can experience that. I mean, you can get, you can download a free chapter of that book where she talks more about these processes that have made our home such a haven of peace. You can download a free chapter. And really the easiest way to do that is to go to the Kickstarter project we've got going on right now. So if you get, just go to kickstarter.com, put in Joanne Meller, J-O-A-N-N-E, all one word, Joanne Miller, it'll take you right to that. And you can see some cool things there that you can experience. We got a, a free PDF that shows how to use the five senses in the home. Let's fast forward a little bit on the personality styles though. I mean, we continue to be very, very different over the years. It has not been a desire on either part to make us change there. So we embrace the differences. I mean, you recognize I'm direct, get to the point, get things done, see the big mountain, want to climb it. And you're very more, much more relational. But let's talk about how that affected our parenting. So I'm a high D, very dominant. So, you know, one of our children would want to do something. I'd say, hey, no way, not going to happen in our house. Your approach was a little different. Yes. One of the uh, important aspects of parenting, I think, is to make sure that you don't undermine the other parent in any situation. And we didn't do that. We, we supported each other in every decision. And, and early in our parenting, I believe it was either James Dobson or somebody that we were, we were listening to. Maybe it was Dr. Spock because he was big back then. I don't know. But somebody had said, say yes to just about anything that your children ask you. Just say yes, unless it's immoral or very dangerous. And we took that very seriously, and we really made that a, a, a plan to say yes to our children in, in most anything they asked and explore with them. And we really were supportive of each other in that. A lot of parents have as their default response, no. Yes. You know, can I go out, outside and play in the mud puddles? No. Why? Well, because you might get dirty. Yeah. Well, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> so we, we did. We had a lot of fun with that, where our default response is Yes. And our grandkids know that today. Yes, they do. They come to, you know, they come to me. Uh, Papa, can I, you know, drive the tractor in the middle of the day? Well, my, my default response is yes, unless there's some clear reason that there should be a no. And that could even be in the middle of a workday when you're trying to Absolutely. do a podcast or, or something else. And one of the grandkids come in and say, Papa, I want to go on the tractor. Okay, and you're up and running and, and you go do that for a little bit. Now, obviously, we're in a situation where you can do that. If you have a job outside the home, that's not always the case. But the point is that what you have to ask yourself, why am I really saying no? What's my reservation here? Is it really necessary? 
And our kids grew up, you know, going outside at night to look at the stars, you know, to go out and see the fireflies, you know, to go down and get in the creek, not just to walk on, but get in the creek or to go for a walk, you know, and go get the mail or to, yeah, go ride that ride that might be scary. So there were lots of things like that where our default answer was yes. And I think it served our, our kids well and created a life that they, that they model now. Let me uh, bring up a, a, a time when I think that understanding personality style really, really paid off and was an important part of our daily life. When our middle child, Jared, was about, I would say in his early teens, about 14. I don't think he, could, he couldn't even, maybe 15, because he was just getting his license, I think, uh, getting his permit. You knew that your high D personality, because we'd had a lot of discussions about this, that your high D personality, your um, take charge personality would just crush him so easily if you weren't careful in how you responded to him. It still does. I mean, he and I are, are, tend to be a little bit more alike in that and we can get our feelings hurt easily. So you knew that. So you had to think, okay, how can I bond with this child and make this child uh, respond to me in a way that he'll talk to me and feel comfortable with me and pour out his heart because he didn't do that readily. So what did you do? I purchased a 1968 Volkswagen Carmen Ghia. We pulled it into the garage and we worked on it for a year and a half before we ever drove it out. But we stripped, we pulled out all the glass, put in new rubber. We pulled out all the carpet new carpet, pulled the engine, worked on that. We totally reworked that. We sanded for hours and hours and hours on end. Then, then painted it ourselves, Porsche Guards Red. But it was not to create a car that wasn't as important as the time together, where if I confront Jared about something, he would just clam up. Or I ask him a hard question, he'd just clam up. But when we'd work together side by side, two hours go by, He'd be talking. He'd start talking more and more and be more and more comfortable to share his heart. You know, that's a great example. You know, he, he, he would very quickly just shut down if I came across in my natural style. But as a daddy, I wanted to learn how can I relate to this child well? What this amounts to is intentional living. And I talk about that so it's the thread really that runs through the entire book of creating a haven of peace. If you want to have that kind of a relationship with your child, you have to better understand that child. And not, we have three children. All three of them are different. And all three of them, we respond and, and work with them in the way that best suits that child. And I see them doing the same thing with their own children. Uh, the principles that we've learned with personality styles, understanding those better and uh, relating better have been passed on through the next generation. So it's something that can keep going on and on and on and create a lifestyle that's intentional and exciting. I remember one time we came home, Jared had a downstairs, kind of like a bonus room mm -hmm. in the house we were living in. And he had covered the walls with black paper and turned off all the lights, had just little like candlelight in there. Well, coming home and seeing that as parents our immediate reaction could have been, oh my gosh, you know, he's getting into the gothic scene, you know, they're just dark, evil. We know that, you know, evil loves darkness. Kind of, but we didn't do that. We didn't have that kind of near-jerk reaction. We tried to understand why did he do that, ultimately ended up 
And again, this would have been when he was 13, 14 years old, yeah, he was but ended up having him tested and realized that he had already had all the terms from school that they give a child mm-hmm. who doesn't just stay inside the lines. So he was ADD, ADHD, bipolar, and all those wonderful terms. But we then had him tested and realized that his brain processes light very differently. Fluorescent lights is very distracting. It's like it's flickering all the time. And that his brain processed material, even reading, best in really low light. So it wasn't any kind of a gothic move. It wasn't any kind of subculture thing. It was a way for him to try to adjust to this world he was living in to make things work better. We ultimately had screens that he had to put over his pages, like with a red and green screen, which made the words look different, which made it easier for him to read. But sometimes, you know, we so quickly as parents, we have predetermined how we want our children to respond, Mm -hmm. how they ought to be. I mean, even take the idea of introversion, extroversion. We encourage kids to get out there and play. I mean, get out there. You know, you're not well adjusted unless you're outside playing. What if a child enjoys solitude and reading? We don't embrace that. Our culture says, no, you've got to be a particular way. We tried very intentionally as parents with three very different children to determine what makes this child unique. Mm-hmm. That, that Proverbs 22, 6 that we use a lot, you know, train up a child in a way he should go and when he is old and not depart from it. Well, we've misused that a lot as parents to force things down our kids' throats because by golly, we train them up in the way they ought to be, then they're going to be that way forever. Well, not necessarily. And that verse in its original translation really means train up a child in the way that he or she is bent. That's a very different concept. Our challenge as parents is to figure out how is this child wired? What are unique characteristics about this child? How can I help them be great in doing that? And we did that with our children. So our children have taken very different paths. Golly, we have our oldest child, Kevin, lives in Woodland Park, Colorado. They're at about 10,000 feet up. It snows like 10 months out of the year. You know, they love it. Jared, our second one, absolutely hates cold weather yes if it gets below 60 he's <laughs> shivering he his perfect life is on the beach in the heat and the sun and i am so with him in that well and they have chosen for the most part you know to live where it's 75 degrees all year long and jared rarely wears a shirt but but they're just different again we aren't trying to make one like the other there's not one that's right one that's wrong they're just very different. Our daughter likes a very minimalistic life, very simple, wants to live in a in their 30-foot RV and travel all over. And I'm thinking, oh, my stars, that is just so not me. But like you said, all of us are very different. Embracing those differences can sometimes drive you insane and other times make you recognize that we are we need to accept each other where we are and from that develop relationships that thrive in spite of some of those things that drive us crazy because i am a pretty fast-paced driven and all of that i don't take the time to nurture even relationships with my own siblings you took that on very early you're the one that communicates with my brothers and sisters. Yes, and I will say there have certainly been times when that annoyed me because I felt like you needed to take the reins and go with it. 
I know that is just not your style. You just figure everybody out there is a grown adult that can take care of themselves. And I want to nurture everything. And I do firmly believe, and I know you believe this in your heart too, that you cannot have a close relationship with anyone unless you do a lot of nurturing that relationship, working on it intentionally all the time. So I do take that seriously. And and because it's such a an easy thing for me and a more difficult thing for you, I just kind of take that task on me. And, and that's a part of our relationship. It's part of what makes it work. When you came into my family, my dad being a conservative Mennonite pastor, in addition to being a farmer, he was, you know, very stern, pretty aloof, just matter of fact. Well, you nurtured a relationship with him. Here was this girl that came in without a Mennonite background, with um a lifestyle, mini skirts, short hair and makeup and jewelry. You got to put this in perspective. This was the hippie 1960s. And uh, yeah, I when I met you, I didn't even know the word Mennonite. I'd never heard it before. Mm-hmm. I really didn't even know the, the Christian terminology at all. I, I was not in that arena whatsoever. Amish didn't know anything about them. When I went to family reunions, even before we were married, I I remember going to a family reunion with you, I think in New York or someplace, and um, and I, I don't know, I just it, maybe it's innate in my nature, but I just figure everybody's my friend whether they want to be or not, and I treat everybody well because I really firmly believe that if I want to be treated well, I have to do that in return, and so I just loved on everybody. And they were amazing to me. And your dad and your mom, who the first time they saw me, for one thing, I had just been kicked out of my house. So it was not a good thing. And our pastor said, because at that time I was going to church with you, he said, take her home with you and make sure she has a, has a place to sleep tonight. That's how I met your parents. And I had this little short mini skirt on and my hair all fixed up and makeup and jewelry. And I was very different from uh, what they would have wanted for you at that time. I was not at all uh, conservative. But I didn't let them not like me. I, that just isn't, that's just not innate in me. That's an interesting statement. You did not let, let them, them not, not like, like you. me. That's yeah. pretty cool. Well, all over time, yeah. you, you nurtured those relationships. And as my parents aged, my mom died first. And then dad was in um, retirement center for years afterward, you would write to him every week. Now, my brothers and sisters didn't do that. You did. You wrote to him. He kept those letters. He treasured those like nothing else he had at that point. Just that warm, nurturing connection that you did, which is a, a great example of your personality style being different than mine, but how it's worked to make our life the full life that it is. Yes, and I think that uh, embracing each other's talents is a part of that. You know, obviously, that's something that, that my gifting is in nurturing, and it is in corresponding, and it is in writing and all of those things that made those things come naturally for me. It was not for you. So instead of resenting you for that, there might have been moments, but just fleeting. Instead of that, I, I embraced that, and I did it for us, for us as a team. We are a team. Well, I have never had a job. I've always been an entrepreneur. It was just kind of how I was wired, even as a little kid, saw opportunities, started selling Christmas cards door-to-door, 
and then detailing cars. I mean, I did a whole variety of things. But because of that, we have had this entrepreneurial journey as well. And a lot of our listeners are in that or um, admire that, at least. With your background, you would have been happy to marry somebody who took a job at General Motors, stayed there for 35 years and got a gold watch, you know, made a very mediocre salary. You were used to, used to nothing. So having a consistent roof over your head without having utilities turned off, you know, was a new novel experience for you. You would have been content with that. I chose because of how I'm wired this rock and roll roller coaster <laughs> kind of lifestyle that have put it on this path in looking back. Now it's pretty clear you would not trade where we are today for the lifestyle that I described a little bit ago, but coming into this, I mean, you had to kind of strap on your seatbelt and hang on because this entrepreneurial lifestyle that is so engaging to me was not some, that was something new for you as well and created some concerns along the way. Well, definitely, it has been a, a uh, an amazing roller coaster ride because anyone who knows the uh, anything about the entrepreneurial life recognizes that there are just as many downs as there are ups in that ride. It is a great adventure, but it's also one that can be really scary. And we have a lot of young couples, especially, who come to us, and one of them, the uh, the wife or the husband. Uh, in that relationship, is really scared. They're frightened. What's ahead? What if we, what if we lose our house? What if we don't have money to eat on? What if? What if? What if? What if? And you can go on and on. Well, all of those things happen to us, and I'm here to tell you that that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. And I, I like to encourage couples who are perhaps looking at that lifestyle to look at it in terms of it being a great adventure. And even if what you start out to do isn't necessarily where you end up, it's a process. And it's been a life process for us for 48 years. Um, yeah, you've never had a, a, a real job. And there were times certainly in my head, I must have said over and over, Oh, please just go out there and get a real job. But it didn't express that to you. Uh, in, in words, because I knew that that was so not your personality. I knew that that would probably make you miserable. Well, in the first place, you'd get fired, I know, because you wouldn't make a good employee. There you go. Yes. Um, but you would be miserable. And if you're miserable, then the rest of us are going to be miserable. Um, so we, we embrace life together on that adventure. In the book, I dispel a few myths about being an entrepreneur. And I'll, I'll just go uh, briefly over those. Uh, so many people think living the entrepreneurial lifestyle is so much easier than a traditional J-O-B. In your dreams. Every ent- entrepreneur that I have ever run across has worked harder and much longer hours than anyone else who's had a reg- regular job. For one thing, somebody who has a regular job can come home and they can do something else, typically. They're not working on the, the, uh, the entrepreneurial business, starting a business or whatever, all day long. Uh, another th- 
myth would be the entrepreneur has lots of freedom to do what you want behind uh, or, or, and leave the work behind. Really? Well, that may be true to a degree. For instance, if one of our kids had something at school or something that we needed to attend to, or Dan takes time out even now, where you go out and take time with the kids on the tractor for a few hours. You have to make up that time to get the things done that you need to do, perhaps at bedtime or after supper or at other times of the day. So there's some freedom, yes, but you still, it doesn't necessarily diminish the amount of work. Being your own boss gives you peace and comfort knowing you answer only to yourself. Really? Yeah, baby. That's very true. You answer to yourself and your spouse when the bills are overdue and you're solely responsible for them. And you answer to no one else when you have to hire, fire, motivate, and oversee employees, partners, and business associates. You get to figure out taxes and insurance and liability, P&Ls and all that stuff. Wow, isn't that fun? I don't think so. There's a lot of details that have to be done when you're uh, an entrepreneur, and especially when you're starting out, because often you end up doing uh, everything, a little bit of everything, and so you get spread awfully thin in some areas. And then another myth I dispelled in the in my book was a good education will get you where to go where you want to go. Well, you know, there's truth in that for some people, if you're going to be a brain surgeon, I certainly hope you get educated in that area. There are some things when you definitely need a specific education. But what happens most in the entrepreneurial lifestyle is that people look mostly at your personality, your willingness to work hard and long, that's going to bring you a lot more success, your customer service, the way you treat other people, those things are so vitally important in being a success. And I think that today's educational uh, uh, situation is that they don't stress enough those personality behaviors that are much more important sometimes than just taking another class or a course. You know, one of the things I want to jump in there, just comment a little bit on that idea of you do everything as an entrepreneur. So you handle the financial things, Mm -hmm. you know, if the yard needs to be mowed, wash the windows, you know, sweep up, set up chairs, you do everything. Well, that is true theoretically. And I think at the beginning of any kind of venture, you have to be willing to do those things and capable. But very quickly, also, as entrepreneurs, especially in today's environment, we can identify what are the couple things that I do really well. I tell people that even in a little business like we have, there are probably 20, 25 different things that need to be done. I probably do two or three of those pretty well. That's where I want to spend 97% of my time. I do surround myself, even though we have no employees, I surround myself with people whose skills complement my own. I mean, I say, and I have no employees. They're all, you know, they're all independent contractors. We give them 1099s at the end of the year. I don't want the traditional structure of business where we have staff meetings in the morning, but people are very involved in our business. We have about 18 people who are very involved in our business that do specific things on a weekly basis that allow me to stay really focused on what I do well. Well, That is a very important entrepreneurial message because sometimes people get stuck in doing everything and it diminishes then their joy that brought them into doing that initially because they spend so little time doing the one or two things they really enjoy. So true. And I I think that there's so many things about the entrepreneurial life that are 
um, really dependent on the relationship you have with your spouse. And I know that many times you've had clients who've come to you and have said, I I need to change a career. I really want to do something entrepreneurial. Uh, I want to start a business and so forth. But the spouse is not on that same page. And you really encourage them to bring the spouse in so that you can talk together. Because if your spouse is not on that same page, you're looking at um, a, a really hard journey and probably failure. And it could very well be failure in your home, in your marriage. And that's not something that you want to have as your goal. Yeah, we've seen that played out time and time again. You know, the goal is certainly not to remove all structure and it's just a free for all. And all of a sudden, everything that you really do value is gone as well. You know, there has to be support. Now, you've been amazing in that regard. And as much as you would have been comfortable with something much different, you recognized, validated how I'm wired and have been totally on board through everything to give me the opportunity to try things, give me the opportunity to fail at things, but continue on that journey, which ultimately I think has worked well for both of us. Let me insert a little uh, caveat here too, because I've had people ask me this when I've been interviewed. Well, what about you? What about me? Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking a lot about how I was very supportive as a spouse with you. Mm-hmm. What about me? What happened with me along that route? Did is I this, just did I did I just submit? Is this did, yeah? Where have you just been helping Dan with his dreams and your own have been pushed under the carpet? Certainly, that has run across my mind at various times. But you know, my goal was to have the happy home of peace and harmony and love, and to have great relationships. So. I wasn't really pulled away from something else that I thought I might want to do um, as a career or anything. And keeping in mind, too, that when we met, we were teenagers. I really didn't know. I didn't have a, a chance, I don't think, to think it through that much as to whether or not I wanted to have some different career. I really wanted to have a happy home. So for me, being a, um, a homemaker was a natural fit for me. So it worked well for me. You were very supportive in anything with the home. And you would come well, you would come in uh, when I would be really harried as a housewife and a mother. And you would take the kids out and play with them. And you would do things to give me some time to myself. So it wasn't like it was all one way. It was both ways. We were both in it together. We both had a common goal of creating that haven of peace. And all of that is in the pages of this book, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, because there were times when, yeah, the, there were, I, I even talked in this book about how do you fight? Well, I don't like the word fight. Neither one of us have ever felt like we fought, but we can have some pretty intense discussions. But we wanted it always, again, as I said before, to be a win-win for both of us in every area. And I think we've both, uh, we both, we have encouraged each other to embrace our uniqueness. So I want you to be that warm, loving, nurturing, caring person that you naturally are. I want you to be excellent at doing that. I don't want you to change that. My goodness. And in the same regard, you know, you want me to be able to exercise my personality strengths, the things where I'm wired. Are they different? Yes. But we want, I want you to be fully alive. I want you to be the very best that you can be. 
at what you do. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is change. I mean, we have not exactly had a predictable life where we can look 10 years down the road, know exactly what it's going to be. We have all our financial projections in place. We know where we're going to live, where our kids are going to go to school. We've never lived like that. No. You know, it, interesting. I was cleaning out my uh, desk, some some papers on my desk the other day, and I ran across a little paper where I just jot, jotted down all the different places I've lived all my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I have had 23 different homes in my life. 23 different moves. And uh, that was different states, different cities, different times in in the in a specific city. Lots of moves, lots of change. I've lived in everything from uh, a beautiful four-bedroom home to a house trailer that was eight foot by 42. I lived in a Quonset hut, which is like picture a soup can, cut it in half, set it down on the ground, and you got this rounded, domed, no, no door, no uh walls or anything just curtains you pull across oh i've had i've i've had yeah a lot of change not just since i married you so i could kind of adapted to that before i married you but with all the different things that have happened in this entrepreneurial lifestyle change is a given but you know it really doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur or or, or not or have a, a 9 to 5 job change in our world happens daily. How do you deal with that? How do you respond to that? Do you respond to it in a good way? Or do you react in a way that you know, I don't want that and you're, you're pushing away. Uh, I talked with somebody uh, a a few years ago who was having a a difficult time adjusting to where they had moved. The kids were having trouble and so forth. And I'm thinking, in fact, I wrote a blog about it. You know, our kids get their sense of security from the parents. How are you as a parent handling change? If you handle it in a way that with trepidation and fear and, and um, bitterness, that's exactly what the kids are going to pick up. We always just figured every time we had to pick up and move, which sometimes was simply because we, had to, we couldn't pay the rent, when that happened... We had to deal with it, and we looked at it as an adventure. You know, Helen Keller said a great quote that I quoted. I quoted her in the in my book. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. And that's coming from Helen Keller, who certainly had a lot of things that she had to deal with in her life. We all do. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to handle it? What is our perspective? And I think that we have really done pretty well with keeping that positive attitude and and making sure that our children see that life is an adventure and change can be fun. So embrace it. You know, we know by definition, progress requires change, just by definition. You can't have new results unless something changes. So when change comes, and it is inevitable and relentless, we've always embraced it. It's not resisting it. Our goal is not to keep things the same. It's to identify the change. And then one of the phrases that we use, and I think we learned it from our friend Gail Hyatt, 
is when change comes, even if it's unwelcome and unexpected, what's the phrase we use? What does this allow? What does this experience allow? What does this make possible? I can remember times when we, when I would be on long walks railing at God because I was so tired of us being in this pit of despair I felt at the time because I um, because we had lost our home and we we went through 12 years of recuperating from that from a business disaster and anybody who's listened to this podcast probably has heard bits and pieces of that and I, I talk about it in uh, the uh, creating a haven of peace but I remember at times railing and at, at at God and and in my, internally being being so upset, but then I would stop. And at Dan, and at Dan, okay, yeah, <laughs> Dan, Dan. I, not to your face, but in my head. Yes, there were times I was that I probably did. grateful that you yes, diverted that I, some of it off to God. Yeah, <laughs> he's got bigger shoulders than I do, but it was really aimed at me. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But I do remember over and over praying to God, "What can I learn from this?" What can I learn from this situation? And honestly, the best education for where we are today in our business is through that disastrous time when we lost our house and our cars and the business and everything, and we didn't have two nickels to rub together and didn't know how we were going to make it. Those times going through that experience led us to where we are with the 48 days uh, business. And so I have to look at that as being a great education. I don't want to go through that again. I've had that education. But it was one that I took to heart and recognized later. It's harder when you're in it, sometimes in those disastrous times or what seems like disaster. It's it's hard to recognize what good can come out of it. It's easier in retrospect, and I can look back now and see that was a great education. Well, there's a mantra that you use. I know that you talk about it often, and it's a phrase that has become kind of one of your special phrases. Yes. Tell our listeners what that is. Yes. In fact, I have little ceramic tiles made with this quote on it, and it's from me. If it matters to you, it matters to me. That is, I think, a really key element in any relationship. Dan, if you are concerned about this, if this matters to you, then it matters to me, even if I might think in my head it's unimportant or I don't want to hear this now or I don't have time for this, whatever. If that's important to you, it matters to me. And and the, the same in reverse. If it's important to me, and I've got to say it in 10,000 words or more, you need to listen to that because it's important to me. It's it's important to you. Well, that's so important to you. That little phrase that we had them made up in yes. little ceramic pieces where it's stamped in ceramic glaze, beautiful glaze on that. You know what? We haven't mentioned that. And we don't even have a way for people to get those. But Not yet, huh? Tell you what, let's let's do this. If people go to 48days.com slash haven, H-A-V-E-N, they're going to get that beautiful pictorial that Jared created on how to use your five senses in your home. We'll randomly select three people that respond to that and send them that ceramic piece. If it's important to you, it's important to me. Well, hey, thanks for being part of this listening crowd. This is an unusual podcast for us, obviously, but 
one that I think is important, one we get a lot of questions on. So I don't know who better to discuss the entrepreneurial lifestyle with than with my own wife, Joanne. So grateful for you being in in here with me, honey. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Share all this. And as you can tell, we're going out with not our usual song about having a job you love, but rather with the song that I have as a ringtone on my phone. Ah, that was the It's a Beautiful Day. You You too. It's a Beautiful Day. So we'll just end with that. Thanks for being part of this community where we are, in fact, finding or creating work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.